Hey, listen, this summer has been incredible, right? So I, uh, I wanted to see that video before this morning, so I texted yesterday and said, hey, can I get a link to that? I watched it uh, last night, and Ben texted and said, it's kind of, Ben Beasley, he's awesome if you don't know him. He's the one who does all of our videos. Let's give it a shout out for Ben. Uh, ben... Ben, uh, ben says, man, it's really difficult to cram all that the Lord has done in a minute and a half, right? Uh, but we wanted to give you a snapshot about what we feel the Lord has been doing in our midst. Now, um, you're probably wondering, why, why, is, why are you up here so soon? Like, it's, it's, it's not time for the message to happen yet, right? Uh, we want to sing some more. And so that's going to happen. And so I'm going to give a message. And then once this message is finished, we're going to celebrate some more baptisms, all right? Uh, and, then, uh, and, and in doing that, um, we are, uh, uh, we're going to just celebrate what the Lord has done. Uh, and we're going to worship some more, right? So this morning, we are going to finish our series in First John. We've been walking in it all summer. Uh, next week, we're gonna start a new series. Gary Singleton, our senior pastor, will be back with us next week. He is going to be focusing on a new worship, our new sermon series. And this sermon series is just simply gonna be titled, We Are For. Uh, we feel like so many times our media and our culture wants us to talk about all the things that we're against. And so we wanted to spend a few weeks celebrating and looking at what we are for. And so next week, Gary will bring a message that's simply titled, We Are For Our Enemies. Uh, and so this morning we have 1 John chapter 5 in front of us. There is no way that we're going to be able to get to the entire chapter. And so we're going to concentrate on the first five verses. Now, um, let me kind of just set the stage a little bit uh, and tell you where we're going this morning. The, the setup, the introduction, whatever you want to call it, it's long. So hang with me, okay? Uh, but then once we get through this, and I feel like it's absolutely necessary to really set the stage of the scripture. But once we get into the scripture this morning, we're going to look at three things or three realities or three steps, call them whatever you want, uh, that will help you know and experience victory in Jesus and really victory in Jesus that can become an everyday reality. That's, that's our main thing today, that victory in Jesus can become an everyday reality. Now, if you are uh, come to the heights for any length of time, right? And, and one thing that you will know uh, is that we talk a lot about victory. We sing about victory. If you've been here for 50 years, for 50 years we've been talking about the fact that Jesus is victorious and we are victorious because he won the victory for us. And that's good and that's true and all that is right on. Uh, we sing about the victory. We claim the victory and this is true. But for many of us, I wonder, do you actually experience victory on a day-to-day -day basis. Like every day is victory your reality. And I'd probably guess in the room this size, there are some in this room that would say, no, I, in fact, I feel pretty defeated most of my days. And I feel a lot of doubt most of my days. And in fact, if you were to be really transparent this morning, that you may say, you know, in fact, um, I absolutely need victory to break through. Uh, I need victory in my relationships. Richard, if you understood and knew about my marriage, my marriage is so bad. Like we are within a breath of calling the divorce, the divorce lawyer. Like we're done. 
And you may just say, I desperately need victory. You may be here today thinking, man, I absolutely need victory in my finances. I'm swimming in a load of debt and it feels like an anchor around my neck just pulling me down and it's cloudy and I don't know how to get from under it and I absolutely need victory. Or you may sit here and say, I, I just need victory in my career. I, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but what I do know is that what I'm currently doing, that's not it. And I just feel like I'm spinning my wheels and I absolutely need victory. And so I wanna, I wanna just encourage you, if that's you this morning and, and you're like screaming, I need victory, just hold on. <laughs> I didn't do that on purpose, by the way. <laughs> it fit, but I didn't do it on purpose. Uh, uh, just hold on, because I believe that the Lord, through his providence, can give you that victory this morning and can show you that. This morning, the text just screams this victory. And, and, and look in 1 John 5, the second half of this verse in our text this morning, it says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. The verses that precede that just talk about how to get that victory. And that's what we're going to explore this morning. So as we look at that, I wanna kind of look at this word victory for a moment, right? Um, and I wanna show you some images and I wanna see if you can identify the images and then tell me uh, where these images are taken from. So this is the first image of victory. Anybody know who that is? That's Usain Bolt. Anybody know where, when this was taken? This is the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Uh, he ran the 100 meter. He won the gold medal. His time was 9.69 seconds. They say the last 20 yards he held up to celebrate. Uh, later, in the next year, he broke this. He currently holds the world record at 9.58 seconds. And this is a victory of, uh, this is a picture of victory. Um, the next picture, who's this? Tiger Woods. You know when this is? 2019 Masters, right? This is his fifth Masters win, his 15th major. It's been six years since he won a major before this. He was 43 years old, and many people said, not gonna happen again. He won't win another one. Now, some of you, all that made sense, and for some of you, you have no idea what I was just talking about, right? Uh, but it was a big deal for a lot of people who love golf, and this, for them, is a picture, an image of victory. And then I wanna show you this. Anybody know what this is? This is the Houston Astros, 2017. Very first, very first World Series win for Houston. Some say this is a picture of victory. I say this is a picture of cheaters, right? So we'll just move past this and go to the next one. This is my favorite. Anybody know what this is? 1980 American men's U.S. hockey team, the Lake Placid Olympics, right? So a bunch of ragtag amateurs coming together uh, to play in the Olympics. We, they were playing against the mon monsters, uh, the big massive team of the Soviet Union, the Russians. They were supposed to mow everybody down. Americans beat them, the US uh, played them in the semifinal match. 
It was 3-2 going into the third period. In the third period, the U.S. team scored two goals. They beat the Soviets. They beat Finland in the finals. And they one of the greatest underdog stories of all time. If you've watched the movie Miracle, you've seen this and experienced this. This is a picture of victory, right? And so when we think of victory, these are the things that we think about as Westerners, as Americans, this is what we come to understand victory as. Now, actually, when you win, did you realize that? That in the moment that you win, there is a chemical that's released in your brain and it's called dopamine. And when this dopamine hits the reward center in your brain, boom, you feel awesome. Like you feel like you can conquer the world. And it's really this temporary high. And we chase after it. Cowboys fans, I have been chasing after it for years and years and years. And we chase, but this is the year. This is the year. We chase after it. But the problem is the dopamine wears off, right? There's a little bit of a lull and we go back to life as normal. But we have grown accustomed to feeling victory and associating that with a feeling, that we feel good. Now, the problem is, is that our lives are not lived in this natural state of a temporary high. Well, we don't always live with an overload of dopamine. So we don't always feel this. And so we have been taught that we are victorious in Jesus, but the problem is we don't always feel victorious in Jesus. And so because we don't feel victorious in Jesus, a lot of times we begin to quit living like we're victorious in Jesus. And it's this just downward spiral. spiral. And John, and really in his whole passage of 1 John, one of the reasons why he's writing that is because he's wanting to scream that, hey, listen, you can achieve and find true victory in Jesus. And part of that discovery is understanding and knowing what the Father's heart is for you. John was later in life when he wrote this book. We know this. We've talked about this. John was overseeing a bunch of house churches in that day. Uh, and there was some division among these house churches. And, and part of this division, uh, it was really a crisis in this church, is that, uh, is that some of the house churches were, um, were de-emphasizing the deity of Jesus Christ. So you have this, you have Jesus is 100% man, but he's also 100% God. And a lot of these house churches were saying, I'm down with the man part, but I'm not so good with the divinity part. And so they began to look past that. And so one of the things that John did in this book is he, it really screams, First John, is that you have to understand. And if you want to know the Father's heart, you have to understand and you have to believe that Jesus is both man and Jesus is God. Some of you may be in this room thinking and living your whole life that Jesus is just a great man. But the life of Jesus hasn't affected you in any way. 
And maybe this morning you need to tap into that. Not only is he a good man, he is the Messiah, the Savior. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And Jesus, in the, and John, in this passage of scripture, he went over this and over this and over this. And this book screams that, man, the Father's heart is for us. And you have to understand the divinity of Jesus to capture that. So this book screams that the Father God himself, the creator of the universe, has a heart that is inclined to you. He loves you. He is crazy about you. And this is the Father's heart. So when we know and we understand the Father's heart, man, we can begin to really have victory in Jesus. And that can be an everyday reality for us. But I think there's a lot of times it's difficult for us to fully capture the Father's heart. Like, we forget it. And I think there's a couple reasons why we miss the Father's heart. The first reason I think we miss it is because oftentimes I think we confuse our earthly Father with our heavenly Father. You know, current stats show that 25% of all kids don't have a dad. Now, I'm not talking about divorce situations where the kids separate and split time with their dad. I'm talking about none. Not a biological dad, not a stepdad, not an adoptive father, not a granddad that stepped into the father row, no father figure of any kind. 25% of our kids in this country grow up fatherless. And when you put on top of that, the ones that do have a father figure, many of those relationships are incredibly strained. You have sexual abuse and physical abuse you have failed expectations and the list could go on and on and on. And if you're sitting there saying, oh my gosh, you're talking about me. My, my guess is that you've probably put up walls in your life to protect you from the pain of not having a dad. And you think, oh, the only person I'm gonna trust is me. And in putting up those walls, perhaps you've pushed out God the Father. And if that's you, just lean in today. Listen, may the Holy Spirit illuminate your mind because I want you to understand you may not have an earthly father and you may not have a good earthly father, but you absolutely have a very good, loving, heavenly father. And I hope that truth those walls will begin to crumble today for you and you'll begin to understand and grab a hold of that truth. So I think we just confuse fathers, the earthly and the heavenly. Another reason I think that we miss the father's heart sometimes is because we just doubt. We just doubt our faith. We doubt our salvation. We doubt our relationship with the Lord. The Barna Group studied this, and what they discovered when they studied this is that 26% of Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, at some, uh, that currently, 26% currently are struggling with their relationship with the Lord. Their salvation, they doubt it. Now, an additional 40% have struggled. They've kind of gotten that ironed out. 
35% rock solid, never struggled. Hey, if that's you, awesome, praise the Lord. But what this is telling us is that 66% of you, more than half of you in this room that, uh, that are believers in Jesus Christ, more than half of us in this room that have come here, you're either struggling right now with your relationship with God or you've struggled with your relationship with God at some point in your past. Well, no wonder it's so difficult for us to capture the Father's heart with all this doubt. But the truth is that doubt is not the Father's heart. And for those that made a profession, that have made a profession of faith, the Father wants us to know that we have a relationship with Him. We see it in John 5, this chapter, it says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may, what? Know that you have eternal life. So let's push this doubt out this morning. Let's focus on the scripture. Let's focus on the Father's heart. And let's discover how victory in Jesus can be our everyday reality. So what I wanna do is I just wanna build on three different steps, three steps, super uh, easy to grab a hold of. Um, I want us to kind of look at how we can apply these in our life. Three steps, three realities straight from the scripture that if you begin to apply these, I believe you will be able to capture the Father's heart and you'll be able to understand that you can experience true victory in Jesus every day, right? First step, first reality, first thing that must happen. This shoe drops first. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, no Jesus. Look at with me in the text today, uh, verse one, everyone who believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. I wanna look at two separate phrases in this verse and unpack it just a little bit. The first phrase I wanna look at is Jesus is the Christ. I just talked to you a moment ago that there was division in the church about Jesus being the Messiah. This phrase speaks directly to that. And this phrase, when it says Jesus, John is saying, hey, that is his name. Jesus is his name. The Christ, that's his title. That's his position. Christ just simply means the Messiah, the anointed one. This gives a nod to his identity. And if you are to, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior, if you want to have a relationship with, relationship with him, you must have to believe that Jesus is not just a good man, but that he is your Savior. He is the one that can forgive you of your sins. He is the one that can cleanse you of your sins. And he has paid the price to do that. Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He existed with God from the very beginning. Along with the Holy Spirit, they make our God the Father. And we must know that He is the Christ. The second thing, the phrase I wanna look at in this verse is born of God. And this is alluding to two births. Now, now, now stay with me for a second. So listen, uh, one birth is born of flesh, the second birth is born of God. I'm pretty confident that every single person in this room has been born of the flesh. Pretty sure. If you've been born, you've been born of the flesh. And I think that's all of us. And so if you're in this room today, 
uh, and, and you've experienced uh, a childbirth. Maybe you're a mom who gave birth or maybe you're a dad who was in the room or someone else in the room. I want you to think back to that moment uh, when you gave birth. Maybe you gave birth to 10 kids. I don't know. Think of one of them, right? Um, and uh, uh, and I, I, I will never forget the day that my third son, Crockett Thomas Covington, was born. I, I was looking forward to this day. I was so excited about this day, not because we were gonna have a child that day because I had no clue. But that was a day our staff was gonna gather we were gonna eat breakfast together as a staff and then we were gonna go play whirly ball, all right? Now, if you don't know what whirly ball is, uh, think of lacrosse in bumper cars. It's quite awesome, all right? So if you haven't done it, you need to try it. And I'm pretty competitive and I wanted to beat everybody. And I honestly, really, I'm not even joking, couldn't wait for this day. Ask my wife. And so I get up and I'm like, yes, today's whirly ball. I'm so excited. And then my wife gets up and says, I don't feel very good. I'm like, oh, you'll be okay. Everything's gonna be fine. Just go to school, start teaching. It's gonna be, it's gonna be great. And so she did that. She went to school. She got in her first class. I started driving to meet my staff. Uh, and Kara calls me and says, uh, I'm not feeling so good. And uh, oh, really? Tell me about that. Well, I think, I think I need to go get checked out and go to the doctor and uh, so I'm actually driving there now. Oh, you've actually left school. You're driving to the doctor's office right now. So, well, call me when you talk to the doctor. <laughs> I didn't say that. I called uh, the staff, said, hey, I'm not going to meet you. I met Kara at the doctor's office, which is adjacent to the hospital. We walked in, and from two hours from when we entered that doctor's office, we had met our third child, Crockett Thomas Covington. Much better than Whirly Ball, by the way. <laughs> it was awesome. And you know, as he was being born, I anxiously awaited for what? What? His cry, right? The sign of life, the cry out, the, the sound that every parent wants to hear that says, I am alive. And when babies are born, they cry out. I want you to understand when you are born of God, you cry out as well. You, you cry out in prayer. You cry out in praise. You cry out in song. And in that moment when you place Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are changed internally. You are changed externally. You are changed eternally. You are a new creation. People spend a lot of time trying to change what they do. Jesus changes who you are. And when you learn about who you are, then you can figure out what you're supposed to do. On the night before Jesus was, uh, was crucified, he was meeting with his disciples. And he was in the upper room and he just administered the Passover meal. And, uh, and, and as he was talking to them, this is what he said to them. He said, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? This verse is read at so many funerals. It's so comforting. It probably has been a comfort to many of you in this room 
But when Jesus talks about going away, he's not talking about going to heaven and the whole time you're alive, being an interior designer to prepare a house for you and getting the pictures right and the bed right. He's not talking about that. The preparation that he's talking about, understand this scripture says that the rooms already existed. They were already there. The preparation that he's talking about is that he's about to die for you. See, we have a sin problem. And this sin separates us from a relationship with God. And Jesus knows that according to the scripture, there is only one way to pay the penalty of that sin. And that way is death. And so Jesus says, I'm gonna die instead of you dying. I'm gonna be your substitute. His preparation for us is that he died for us. He defeated death so that we can have a relationship with him. Now we've celebrated this morning these hundred baptisms. I love that. And all of these baptisms were a gift. hundred salvations, I say baptism, we wanna see them baptized. All these salvations were a gift. And in every moment, these hundred folks confess Jesus as Lord, believe that he was raised from the dead, made a choice to follow him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. These hundred salvations this summer we've experienced at camps and VBS and rooms all across this building in ancient buildings in England in apartment complexes, and it's been incredible. But I wanna tell you, I'm a little burdened. I long for the day that salvation runs free at 9.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. That on Sunday mornings, that people repeatedly come to faith and confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And at the first step this morning, according to the scripture, that the, the way that we can experience true victory and understand the Father's heart is to know Jesus. I gotta give you an opportunity. I gotta give you an opportunity. Because if you don't know Jesus, I wanna give you an opportunity this morning to settle that. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray a prayer. And, and I would encourage you that if you're like, I really want to settle my relationship with Jesus, would you just pray this prayer along with me? Maybe you pray it in your head. Maybe you, maybe you whisper it. Um, but just pray this prayer, believing this prayer, believing the words of this. Just pray with me. Let's pray together. King Jesus, I come to this place this morning and I realize that I am in a desperate need to have a relationship with you. I understand that you paid the ultimate price, the price of death, in order for me to be able to be made right with you and have a relationship with you. So in this moment, I just confess my sins. I confess all the things that I've done that have been against your will. I ask that you forgive them I absolutely believe that you are the Christ, that you died in my place, and I 
in this moment want to make you the king of my life. I wanna follow you this morning. So save me, heal me, make me whole. Give me a new identity. I pray that in Jesus' mighty name, amen. So if you prayed that this morning, congratulations, you are a new creation. You're a new creation. Um, so what I, want, what I want you to do is I just want you to text this number. It's behind me. Just Will you text this number to me? Uh, and I, I'm gonna get this. Uh, and I just wanna be able to reach out to you and say, thank you, thank you. And congratulations. And just potentially give you a little bit of next steps on where to go from here. But the first step of true victory is knowing Jesus. And this is a big deal, the biggest. The second reality or step, and we look in our scripture, and we're out of time, but we're gonna get through this. We see it in verse two, it's follow Jesus. Listen here, it says, this is how we know that we love children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. See, I think it's true that you may have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as a child and you've lived your whole life never following him. I believe that's totally possible. And I think it's evident of a lot of people in this room. I think it's totally possible to have a relationship with Jesus and totally miss his heart after that. And, 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 and if, you, if I was gonna go to a new job tomorrow, what would I do? If I was gonna go to a new job tomorrow, I would go to some training and they would teach me how to do this job. If I was to join a sports team and play on a team, I would go to practice and I would train to learn how to do this. If you've made a commitment to follow Jesus, you have to train. You have to be prepared. You have to learn. The best way you can do that is, man, partner up with somebody who's been doing that for a long time that can show you how. And they can live life on life in a relationship with you. And they can say, hey, come follow me and I'll teach you how I pray. I'll teach you how I read the scripture. I'll teach you how I worship God. And we can do this together for a season. And then you can begin to understand and you can begin to know. Here at the Heights, we have these things called five Gs. What well, they simply are is we believe they are markers. They are pictures of what a disciple of Jesus Christ is all about. And I would encourage you, uh, we, we want to make sure that everybody understands grace and that they're daily living out of the realization that Christ saved us. We, we want everybody to gather together. We believe that we're better together. We want everybody to grow. We believe that healthy things grow. We want everybody to give their time, talents, and resources, and we want everybody to go. We want everybody to partner with someone else and teach them how to follow Jesus because the world desperately needs him. So if you're here this morning and you're like saying, okay, the second one is to follow Jesus. I haven't been doing that. Let me know. I would love, come talk to me. I would love to be able to help put you in a discipling relationship where you can learn the steps of what it actually means 
to follow Jesus. The third reality, the third step is to embrace Jesus. Look at real quickly in John 5, verse three, it says, in fact, this is the love of God for God to keep his commands and his commands are not what? Burdensome. Yeah, a lot of times in following Christ, it's a list of have tos. I have to come to church, I must read the Bible, I gotta do this Bible study. But the scripture says, uh-uh. It's not burdensome. Because when you understand the reality of his heart and you know him and you take the time to truly learn how to follow him, there's something that happens. There's something that switches. There's the pleasure that you begin to feel and you begin to understand, huh, this is kind of great. This is kind of awesome. Like coming to church is not a burden. Reading the Bible is not a burden. Doing what Christ wants me to do, that's not a burden. This is... This is what Christ wants for me. And so if you in this room want to experience true victory as an everyday reality, you got to know Jesus. You got to follow Jesus and you got to embrace Jesus. And we can talk for a long time about how to do that. But what I want to do and what I want to leave you with, I want you to put, put yourself in one of those categories. What, what do you need to work on this? Is it to follow Jesus? Is it, is it to know Jesus? Is it to follow Jesus? Is it to embrace Jesus? What do you need to do this week to experience the victory in Jesus?